Hey everybody, it's Sam from West Virginia Overtime, and I wanted to touch base with you guys. I know it's been a little bit of a long time. It's been about two weeks since I've uh, talked to you guys. Uh, a lot of things have happened. The state football um, champions were crowned, and a lot of the awards have come out, and we'll talk about those later. But I guess what I wanted to hit you up with is something that has been running through my mind for the last couple days. Um... I have been dealing with it, but uh, I have dealt with it before. You know, the old saying where uh, history repeats itself until you actually learn it. Uh, Coach Fred Waples um, made sure that I heard that enough throughout my high school years, and I thought that I understood it. But when I graduated high school, obviously, I didn't take it for heart, and uh, then I forgot it through the years because I'm reliving it this year. So, please be with me a little bit for rambling. I don't have any notes today. Usually, I have a bunch of notes on uh, a pad broke down, uh, points that I want to hit, quotes that I want to say, topics that I want to make sure that I kind of discuss, but I don't have that today. Like I said, I've been going through this in my head for for a couple days now and so it's going to be me giving you kind of a stream of consciousness telling you a little bit of my background but a little bit about what all is happening now that's causing me to repeat things I sat down with my high school coach after I graduated. Uh, For those of you who don't know I went to Marshall University and um had talked to an assistant coach down there that graduated from Charleston Catholic. Um, I still have a lot of respect for her, Coach Lynn Bria. She is now the head coach at Stetson University, but at that time, she was an assistant coach at Marshall, and she wanted me to come down, and I was going to learn the game of college coaching from her. I I really wanted to be a college coach. Uh, that's all I'd ever wanted to be was, was a coach. And my high school uh, boys basketball coach was friends with her. She had spoken at a lot of his different camps, and they had became friends. And he had introduced her to me, and she had offered me this coveted spot, and and I, I was really excited about it. However, my dreams went crashing down when in June, um, she decided for the benefit of her career to leave Marshall University and take another job. Her head coach was going to the University of Texas, and they were bringing a new coach in to Marshall. I wasn't sure how that was going to be, but um, that's kind of where this story starts. Um I had kind of grown up in a system at my school, uh, was raised in a certain style. Um, I had certain coaches that I looked up to for, for many different reasons. And when I met the new coach at Marshall, um, she really didn't fit any of those. She um, didn't fit any of the coaches that I uh, followed their, her defense was completely different. Her offense was different. Um, a lot of how she ran the team, how she set things up. She wasn't, in my opinion, very organized. I came from a boys basketball coach who I had helped out when girls basketball se- season was over. And uh, 
in those days, um, the girls played in the fall and the boys played in the winter. And so I got to be around his program a lot and actually see how a program is created, um, how it's ran, uh, the different policies, how it's organized, how rules are set up, how rules are followed, uh, different meanings you have with your players, interactions you have with your players, how you need to get to know your players. So, it was extremely um, weird, uh, for lack of a better word, when I went down to Marshall. Um, I arrived early to meet the coach, and she wasn't as organized. Um, she had been um, a coach at Arizona State and had moved her family clear across the country, and I just assumed that you know, if my high school coach is organized and OCD and is got all his ducks in a row, I assumed, oh, a college coach has got to be way more intense and, and, and organized. And she just wasn't. And so we kind of had a f bad first impression, especially when I asked her, some different things that I was interested in. Um, we, like I said, were getting ready to start conditioning in August. And at that time, we started basketball practice on October 15th. But when I asked her, you know, a little bit about my role, um, what kind of strength and conditioning we were going to be starting in August, um, how often that was going to be, when that was going to be, what are they going to be working on? Um, when I asked that back in, I don't know, March of Coach Bria and the head coach at Marshall, um, they already knew they had it organized down to the T. Um, they even pretty much knew whether they were going morning or afternoon. Um, they didn't have the exact times, but they pretty much knew, and the reason why they said that they had to plan that far in advance was because of the student-athlete schedules. So when I came in the first week of August, and this new coach, I guess, was getting her feet wet and, and didn't really know or understand, um, I was a little shocked, a little taken back. So, went through the first two weeks of, of classes and, and didn't really hear from her. I saw some of the basketball players, you know, on campus and would ask them. And, you know, finally got an answer on the second week of classes. They said, hey, we're supposed to have a meeting with her, you know, coming up two days from now or three days from now. And I thought, well, I, I need to uh, get my butt over to the Henderson Center and, and kind of knock on her door, reintroduce myself. Maybe she's lost my number. Maybe maybe she uh, has assumed that with me being a freshman that my my classes, I need to get used to them. I, I don't know. So uh, I went over there and I, I started talking to her. Then more and more, I spoke to her um the more and more I kind of found out, she really wasn't sure 
what she wanted to do with me. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do with the rest of the freshmen. She wasn't really sure, you know, who she was going to get to be managers, who she was going to get to be uh, timekeepers or statisticians. She wasn't sure, you know, of announcers. And she was still kind of working that out. She hadn't set up, you know, Marshall has the big green room. Uh, for tutoring and and she really hadn't gotten that set up and and she was kind of swimming upstream and uh, I felt felt kind of sorry for her um, at 18 years old I really wasn't sure how to help her but I did offer to help her I you know I I told her I was available that I Based on, you know, what Coach Bria had told me, I had gotten my classes from 8 to 12 every day, um, and I wanted to, you know, make sure that I was available to her, you know, in the afternoons, and she was getting her staff ready and and everything, and almost um, didn't take me up on that it was almost like it was a bother and looking back on it now I I don't think that that's truly how she felt I think I read it that way I read it wrong but I think she was she was just really overwhelmed but anyway uh didn't feel like this was a good situation after basketball practice started in in October felt like it went Almost even more downhill. Sorry about stopping that kind of in the middle. Hopefully I got it at my coughing edited out. I'm, I'm a little sick and under the weather. But I wanted to uh, kind of go ahead and record this podcast and kind of get it off my chest. As practice started, really realized Marshall not only wasn't the team for me, it wasn't the school for me. It was very big and very overwhelming to me with uh, a lot of professors that uh, didn't really care. And I know that had I stuck with it, uh, as you go up in classes, you know, your classes get smaller and, and, and everything. But with everything that was going through my mind at the time, just really didn't want to stick it out uh basketball wasn't going good i i didn't believe in the system didn't believe in the coach just really wasn't sure of everything came home thanksgiving weekend and um talked to the boys basketball coach at my old high school and he told me that um you know, the girls basketball coach that I had played for for four years had had never had an assistant coach. And he said, why don't you talk to him and see if there's any way possible that he'll let you learn from him, that he'll let you help him out and gather some experience. And I thought, you know what, that's a pretty great idea. And he said, when do you think that you are leaving Marshall? And I said, I think I'm leaving at the end of the semester. I think at uh, in December, after my finals, I think I'm done. And luckily, the boys basketball coach and I had a great relationship. And he stated, well, I'll tell you what. 
we will make you a uh, basically a scut volunteer assistant coach and by that um, he basically meant I would do everything that no one else wanted to do um, that's everything from coming you know an hour hour and a half early before practice to make sure the floors are clean to throwing uniforms in the dryers and and doing laundry and doing towels um everything from uh making sure stats are right collecting those going over those uh rewriting or typing up scouting reports and and just kind of learning from the ground up exactly what coaches do um i like i said i got anything that anyone didn't really want to do that day but i learned so much um and i really learned an important lesson i happened to be downstairs and i knew that my high school assistant coach, when he was a freshman coach at a different school, had the unbelievable opportunity to coach two great coaches on his freshman team. They were they were freshmen when he coached them, and both have turned out to be excellent coaches that are respected nationwide uh bob starkey is an assistant women's basketball coach at texas a&m he worked with del brown at lsu with um shaquille o'neal he worked with the great sue gunther at lsu he also um has always stayed true to his west virginia roots and he got to work with the great Jim Boone who has been at numerous different schools. He is at the University of Arkansas Fort, uh, Fort Smith right now. He has built programs at California University at Robert Morris at um, Eastern Michigan at Tulescom to Delta State. He He's just an unbelievable coach, and both of them give so much back. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start West Virginia Overtime and wanted to start this podcast is I don't have as much knowledge as they do. I don't have as much experience as they do, and I don't want to pretend that I even come close. But I do want to impart any knowledge that I have uh, from them or from others to anyone that listens to this podcast. And so I was 19 years old. I was sitting in the coach's office and I believe I was typing up a scouting report and the phone rang. And I had a very, very important conversation that I'm sure Coach Jim Boone does not remember. Um, however, you know, 30 years later, I still remember it to this day that a college coach who was working at building California University getting ready to 
go to Robert Morris the next year, took the time to talk to a lowly 19-year-old girl who was trying to make it in coaching. And I answered the phone, and of course I recognized Coach Boone's voice immediately, and I told him, you know, that coach um, would be right back. Did I? Did he want him to call him? What? What did, exactly did he want him to do? And he said, "Hey, why don't we just talk a couple minutes?" And and I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my gosh, here I am. I'm talking to the great Jim Boone, who." I have learned so much throughout the years, over the next, you know, 20, 30 years from him. And so, he sat down with me and and talked to me. And one of his very first questions are was, who are some of the coaches that you really look up to? And, of course, I named Bobby Knight. Um, I named Rick Pitino. I named Billy Donovan. Um, I had fell in love with Billy Donovan, I think like everybody else in the 86, 87 season, I was in middle school and he, his story of being on coach Patino's Providence team when the three point line came into existence and him getting to um, start shooting that and making basically a living at that, I started following him. And I mean, I followed his career. He went to Wall Street. Um, after that, you know, he called Coach Patino, who was then at Kentucky, and says, said, look, I can't do this. Um, he happened to be working on Wall Street with Billy Minardi, who was um, Coach Patino's brother-in-law. And he said, I will do anything to get back into the world of coaching. Um, and he actually moved to Kentucky and took a non-paying, um, kind of a Scott coach, um, for the University of Kentucky and worked his way up. And at the time that I was talking to Coach Boone, it was a year before he actually coached at Marshall. And, and I told told Coach Boone that I felt that Coach Donovan was going to be an unbelievable coach and that I couldn't wait to watch his career. And I have loved watching every moment of his career. I followed the Florida Gators for over 20 years while he was down there. Um, but Coach Boone asked me, and he said, um, are you wanting to be an assistant coach forever? And at 19 years old, I... I never really thought of that. Never, never occurred to me. Um, did I want to be an assistant coach forever? Um, he said, you know, there are some people that they become assistant coaches and they realize this is what I want to be. I want to focus on certain parts of the game. I want to grow the game in certain ways. And this is what I want to be. There are other people who want to be head coaches. They want to see the big picture. They want to see the big vision. They want to have their hands in a little bit of everything. They're very good organizers. Um, you know, a lot of them are OCD as far as trying to get the big picture out there. And 
being 19 years old, I said, I think one day I want, I want to be a head coach. I, I really have never really thought of it, but when I think of my dreams or, or I think of me in 20 years, I think of me being a head coach, um, uh, being a lifelong assistant coach, it never really crossed my mind. And he said, well, what kind of coach do you want to be? And again, this this really had never really crossed my mind. And and to stall, I guess, I uh, asked, well, what do you mean? And I can remember Coach Boone saying, some of the coaches you've named, they don't run the same styles. Matter of fact, they run styles that are completely different. They have beliefs that are completely different. He said, for instance, um, if you go to one of Coach Bobby Knight's clinics, he'll tell you, you never press. Um, the floor is 94 feet by 50, and most kids are not smart enough and athletic enough that they can press 94, 50 the whole entire game. But yet, you also like Coach Patino, who believes you should press constantly to, number one, wear the other team out, to force them into turnovers, to, you know, wind down the shot clock, to force by shots, force by passes. And he said, so, you know, you've got two coaches you look up to. Which way are you going to go? And I sat there, and I thought about that, and I was like, gee, I, I don't know. And, and I mean, I told him that. I told him that that had never occurred to me. And throughout the years, um, I've played that conversation back with Coach Boone um, numerous times. Uh, Coach Knight doesn't really like um, picks, or as most people call them nowadays, ball screens. Whereas um, Coach Donovan, that's how he sets up his offense at the beginning of most uh, by ball screens at the University of Florida, and now especially at Oklahoma City. And so when I really started watching how they coached and their beliefs and started reading more and they had wrote books and the internet was coming in and and finding things about them on the internet and writing away for pamphlets and, and anything that I could get my hands on about the coaches, I realized that, you know, why I chose those coaches weren't necessarily just because of the offense and defense they ran. I think I chose those coaches because of the style, the way they set up their teams as far as being family. Um... 
Coach Knight always believed that if you played for Indiana, you could always come home. And that if you ever needed anything from him, that he would try to see if he couldn't get it for you or he didn't know someone that could get it for you. If you needed a job, you know, to come back to Bloomington or the Indiana area and see if he couldn't help you. Um, all of us know the story of Landon Turner, you know, his, his player that uh, was paralyzed and the different charity organizations and fundraisers and memorial tournaments and everything that Coach Knight set up for him to make sure that he was okay because he was a Hoosier. And, you know, Coach Donovan, um, once he was at Marshall and then went to Florida, that was something that he set up. Uh, about being a family and about being able to come home and always wanting his players to be able to come home in the summer and talk to the younger Gators and get them on the same page. And I think that's why I was um, attracted to their programs because that was how my high school program was set up. But I realized very quickly that I um, needed to get that in my in my head. What did I believe? What did I want to run? And like I said, it happened very quickly because as soon as that season was over with, um, the girls' assistant basketball coach who, or excuse me, the, the girls' head basketball coach that I had been planning to be an assistant coach with, he um, had to have hip surgery, and he retired. And so a lot of people wanted to bring the middle school cup. She had been coaching at the middle school and had had a lot of success. And here I was, um, 19 years old, and they definitely weren't going to give it to me. So um, a deal was struck as far as, you know, they were going to bring her up, but how about I take her job at the middle school? And so I had to figure out kind of quickly, what do I believe? Um, who am I? Um, I gotta run this team. What are gonna be my policies? What am I gonna stand for? What am I gonna teach them? Um, on and off the court. You know, what's gonna be my offense? What's gonna be my defense? Are we gonna press? Are we not? Um, why? Because I feel like you always need to tell a player why. And I always feel like you need to be up front with a player. If a player's not going to be on varsity, you need to tell them. You need to look them in the eye, and you need to tell them. Um, you, a player's not going to start anymore. I think you need to tell them. I don't think they should just find out when, you know, they're announcing the names to go out on the floor. I don't think that's fair. And so I had to really do some quick thinking. And while some of my views have changed through the years, 
basically, that summer that I was 19 years old, and I sat down, and I really looked, what do I believe in? That's kind of still who I am. And I got to the bottom of that because of one telephone conversation from Jim Moon. And I think there are so many coaches out there nowadays that struggle with this. They struggle because I don't think that they've ever sat down and said, Who am I? What am I? What do I stand for? What are my goals? What am I going to teach them on off the floor? What is my offense? What is my defense? If I'm going to teach them more than one offense, do they conflict with each other? If I'm going to teach them more than one defense, is it going to conflict with each other? Do I have kids that if I teach them more than one defense and it conflicts with each other, will they be able to understand why it conflicts? Or will it just confuse them and mess them up? And I see so many teams uh, were, you know, at the point in the season where I see a lot of girls and boys teams take a huge jump. It seems like, you know, you practice in November, you play anywhere from five to ten games in December, and then you have about a two, two and a half week span where you can really concentrate on things. You can really focus in. You know, you've broken down your film. You've seen what your weaknesses are. It's almost like you've taken and scouted your own team. And you're really trying to shore up those weaknesses. You're trying to see, is the starter going to get better or has my sixth man gotten better than them? And... who's going to take that jump? Who's going to take that leap? Who's going to get a little bit more playing time? And it seems like the first two weeks of January are so interesting to me. I try to see as many different teams as I possibly can because I want to see those players that have taken that jump because they've really gotten in the gym for those two and a half weeks over Christmas break. That yes, they've spent time with their family, but yes, they've spent time with their basketball family. And they've really put in the work. And so I urge any coaches that are out there, um, basketball coaches that are listening, figure out who you are. Uh, Figure out what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, Does it conflict? Um, And if it does, fix it. As softball and baseball and track coaches are getting ready, if, you, if you've made it this far into this podcast, figure out what are you doing? What are you saying? Um, how are you saying it? Does anything conflict? Is it okay? Um, you know, it can be something simple as, you know... Do all of your outfielders automatically throw it to second base? Or when someone shouts out third, they're, they're then allowed to throw it to the third baseman? Or is there only one player that's allowed to do that? 
because they have an arm. Uh, when you're throwing home, do you have the second baseman doing the cutoff, or do you have the the pitcher doing the cutoff? But when this pitcher's in the game, you don't do it. You you have the second baseman do the cutoff. Do your players understand that? Because that's a difference. That's a conflict. That can be something that screws them up. You know, uh, when you're having track practice, is it is it fair that your two-miler is at track practice for an hour and a half and your shot putter is at track practice for 20 minutes? Is, is that comparable? Is that fair? Is that something that you can describe, have a reasoning for? You know, um, that that's the kind of things that, that I'm talking about. Um, I heard a coach the other day, he was teaching a certain type of man-to-man defense, and he wanted to go to 1-3-1. And uh, I listened to him and listened to how he wanted to play the 1-3-1. I asked him some questions about his man-to-man defense, and I said, are your kids okay with that? And he kind of looked at me, and he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, it sounds like to me. I said, you can correct me if I'm wrong, or maybe your kids are smarter than the average bear. I don't know. But it sounds to me like you've spent eight weeks now teaching them this man-to-man defense that says no baseline, has seven rules, seven no's, no baseline, no straight line drives, uh, no layups, uh, no rebounding, all, all these, these no's, but you're wanting to go to a one three one where you're forcing them to the baseline so you can trap. And he said, I am. And I said, are they going to be okay with that? Well, I think so. <clears throat> I said, well, number one, what if they're not? What if they're so used to playing the man-to-man that they can't force them in order for you to get the trap? And I said, are you planning on making this your main defense? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, if you're not, and you're planning to switch back and forth, how are they going to remember what rules apply to what? You're teaching them two different, completely different systems. Your defensive man-to-man says these rules, and your one-three-one says these rules. So you've either got to find a way to mold them together where they're not so distinct 
so apart. Or you need to choose one or the other. And I think that's what got me thinking this. Who are you? What do you stand for? Is it okay for... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry I had to cough. What do you stand for? Is it okay for one girl to go practice show choir, but when another girl asks to leave to go sing in her church choir's cantata for Christmas, that's not okay. Because one school, one's church. Is that right? Uh, is it right to allow, you know, someone to practice, a starter, to practice with a sprained ankle, yet a JV player has to sit out? I think you really need to sit down and figure out, who are you? What do you stand for? What are your core beliefs? And I think a lot of us out there as coaches, I think we need to sit down and we need to put that pen to paper. And we need to decide what are our core beliefs. We're not midget league coaches. We're not t-ball coaches. We're not just dads or moms that are playing coach on the field. You actually took a job as a middle school coach, as a high school coach, as a college coach, as an assistant coach, whatever. You owe that to them. You're taking money to do a job, and you should take it seriously. You owe it to your players to at least sit down and think, and like I said, possibly put pen to paper and figure out who you are, what do you believe, what kinds of offense and defenses do you want to run, do you want to press, do you not... In track, do you want to focus more on relays than individual? Do you think you can score more points that way? Do you think you should focus on field events and, and put, you know, a lot of your great athletes more in field events than in running events? You need to figure out what is best, what do you believe, and then how can I tweak it to fit my team? But I think it all starts with, who are you? And I think that's how I'm going to end this podcast. Uh, because I think I need to do some soul searching. But I think there's quite a few of you out there that probably do too. But I look forward to talking to you soon. And I hope you have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon. This is Sam with West Virginia Overtime. Yeah. <sighs>